Well, it, it looks like almost everyone's here. Uh, would you prefer to start early, end early? Yeah. Okay. No one likes hearing you talk. <laughs> I see how it is. All right. Well, uh, let's begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Heavenly Father, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Well, we have, uh, we're now in chapter 8 of Hebrews, which is over halfway. Uh, we've been booking along for a while. Um, so just a, a short review. Uh, last week, we didn't have Bible study. The week before, people were sort of spread all over and doing Christmassy stuff. So I'm going to give a short review, and then we'll dive in. We'll, so the sheet you have has chapter 8 and 9. So keep this one, okay, because we'll probably use it, not next week, because no Bible study, but the week after. Um, so keep this with you for two weeks. Good luck. I'll have some extra. <laughs> I'll have some extra next time. All right. Um, so beginning with Hebrews chapter 1, uh, if you're in your Bible, you can page along with me. I'll, I'll give you the verse numbers. Um, so Hebrews chapter 1. I'm starting at verse 1. God, who at various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So chapter 1 establishes who is speaking to us and also who Jesus is. Um, but we keep in mind, too, that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus, is established by his word. Uh, it's hard to overemphasize that uh, because there's so much focus on, first of all, Jesus being the eternal word of God. So in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. That's John 1. But also here we see Jesus wishes to give you life by speaking to you. And again, it seems so simple. Um, and in a way, it's the only, uh, well, it's the uniquely human trait of us. Being in the image of God uh, is par partly um, our, well, most fully our righteousness and our goodness. Um, but also it means we do things like God. We were good like God. We speak like God. And so now being fallen, just like the rest of us is corrupt in the image of God, our speech is corrupt. Uh, when we speak things, it either doesn't always happen, or it isn't always true, or we use the power of our speech to destroy. So the word of God is vital to us, and it's what gives us his gifts. Um, but here we see the speaker now is Jesus. So in the Old Testament, we had patriarchs, prophets, but now we have Jesus himself speaking to us. Okay, chapter 2. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels 
proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard? So if you wish to receive salvation based on Hebrews chapter 2, what must you do? Believe in Jesus. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but there's a, there's a, uh, what is this? What is the activity of belief? What do you first of all? How is it given? And what is it holding on to? Repentance. Someone else said it. Yeah, you have to hear it, uh, or uh, you have to receive it through the word of God, even among, uh, in your eyes, in the deaf community. Uh, but this is the same kind of receiving. Right? Uh, and so we have a reception of the word of God. Um, so again, it's, it's strange, because to get to heaven, you have to listen. But you can't listen, because God must open your ears... And we, and we should keep in mind, then, they're not physical ears. So Jesus says many times, uh, hearing they do not hear. Or those who have ears to hear, let them hear. So these are then spiritually given to you. You have spiritual receivers, ears, placed into your heart. And then you may receive the word of God. Um, but here we're talking to believers. So we, they already have faith given to them. And now if they wish to remain in that faith, they must listen. <clears throat> it is the simplest thing and also the hardest thing. Why, in chapter 2, does he start in that way? Therefore we must give more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Why is he saying that? Yeah. Possibly they're taking it, or us, everyone takes it too lightly, like for granted. Yes. Like, hey, look. <laughs> right, right. Uh, as every parent knows, children don't always pay attention. What? <laughs> And so, we as the children of God, our Heavenly Father, gives us a heavenly slap on the head to tell you, pay attention. Don't neglect my word. And also it's because we don't, like what you just said, we don't see it as important a lot of times. Okay, I have a Bible. I read it. It's fine. Go to church, it's fine. But here, it gives us salvation. Um, what is, let's see, well, I don't know, what's the trend in America today uh, for uh, 
salvation. I mean, what, what, what do most Americans think of when they, that, when they want to be, maybe not saved eternally, but just to live a good life? What's the, what's the trend these days? What's the American culture telling you you should do to live a good life? I think, first of all, it's telling us that uh, there's many ways to get to heaven. Oh, that's true, yeah. Yeah, everyone has some truth, and you Christians, how dare you ever say that you only have, that you alone have the truth. Yeah, yeah, so, so our, our culture is telling us uh, salvation is many ways, right? That's, that's for sure. Uh, what else? Uh, and it doesn't just have to be salvation, but living the good life. What else? What? Yes, right? Um, and, of course, uh, during this time of COVID, what's like the number one advertisement? Oh, that's true. Vaccination. Oh, and, and fitness bikes, right? Have you ever seen more advertisements for fitness stuff on, I mean... Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like, they're making hand over fist in this stuff. Um, you know, and, and no offense to people who bought a fitness bike during COVID. I understand. <laughs> it's not evil to buy a fitness bike. No, it's just, it's something that's, you know, in our faces all the time, you know. Um, yeah, fitness. Yeah. So, if you ask your questions like, what within our culture, our culture for salvation is be true to yourself. Listen to yourself. Oh, yeah. Listen, listen, listen to what's going on inside here versus listen to what something else. That's so true. Yeah, be true to yourself. That that is one of that is the paradigm today um, for all relation between man and woman. Right? Yeah. Right. We 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 define ourselves, and we have gone so far in in pushing that in the American culture uh, that in California, I, I believe you can now change your birth certificate. Um, to, 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 to make yourself uh, a birth or, or to change your gender at birth. I think that's possible now. I have to, to re-research that, but I, I'm pretty certain that that's the case. Um, it was at least in the... I know it was a thing. It was in the courts, so I don't know if it's uh, now there. But again, the idea of transgender or the idea of um, changing who I can be in relation with, uh, whether that's a man and a man or a woman and a woman, all of that is a commentary on us deciding what is good for us. I will define who I can love. As a matter of fact, I'll define love itself. So yeah, I think Ed, that's probably one of our biggest things. But it's tied up in every way into salvation. Right? Um, because everyone has their own truth. And when you start at that level, then no one has the only truth. If everyone has part of the truth, no one has all of it. Um, and, and that's actually uh, a, a deception that's crept in among us. Um, why are there different denominations of Christians? Because there are different agendas. There are different agendas, that's for sure. Yes? Different interpretation. Oh, a different interpretation. Yeah, right. Yeah, so some have a different idea of what the good life is, and therefore they form an entire denomination around this. Methodism is formed around living uh, and becoming more perfected, um, and different interpretations. Um, okay, so is any one of them absolutely right? 
You, you say no. Only the Lutheran Church. Ah, good answer, Tony. Only the Lutheran Church, Missouri. Well, let's, so let's break it down then. Um, can you communicate the truth in the scriptures purely? Can I tell you from the Bible the truth? Is that possible? Yes. All right. All right. Yes. Um, how much of the truth can I tell you from the Bible? Okay, all of it, yeah. Um, so if I, if I can tell you the truth from the Bible, I can put it in words that are still true, um, and I can put that down in a document, then doesn't it follow that I can have a full confession of the faith that's true? Based on that. Yeah, I can. So then, we in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod do not say, because we have a name, therefore we are right. We have a document in which we have put down our explanation of the scriptures. And we claim that those words put on that page are true. And that this is the right understanding of the scriptures. And then we say, we swear by this book because we are able to do that because if I can communicate the truth, I can put it down, I can take this and put it somewhere else and it still be true. I can say, I believe in this. That's what a creed is. Right? You say the creeds. A creed is that I can communicate the word of God in all of its purity and say that I'll die for that. That's all it is. Now, of course, what controls what, whether it's true or not? Whether what I put down is true or not? What is, what is the control for that? So, if I write something down, how do I know if that's true? Yeah, right? The Bible. So we have, and even, even in our confessions in the Lutheran Church, we say that. The norm of all of our doctrine and the source of all truth is this Holy Scripture. But we also believe that we can communicate purely in our writings and in our sermons the truth. So, going back to the denomination question, uh, why then are the denominations... Well, let's put it this way. Uh, if we say what we believe is pure and true in the Lutheran Church, not because I am named Lutheran, but because I have an explanation of the scriptures to which I can say, I swear that this is all what I believe and I would die for it. Um, now, let's say another group says, this is not the truth and this is what I think the truth is. What is the, what then, why is there a different denomination? Because they either add to it or take something from it. Right. Yep. You add to it, you take away from it. Something has changed. So the reason why denominations exist is because they believe something different. They really do. There is a different truth being taught. Sorry, different truth. See, look at me. I'm an American. Uh, there, is a, there is something that is untrue being taught among them. Usually it comes down to the sacraments, but because of baptism not giving life, 
or uh, the Lord's Supper not giving life or forgiveness, this impacts everything else. Because the gospel is freely given by the word of God. Everything Jesus did is delivered by that word. So when you begin to mess with the truth, if I don't think baptism can do it, then there's something else wrong. If I go further up and I say, okay, well, why can't baptism do it? Well, because I have to make a decision. Well, well wait, wait a second now. Are you, are you fully a sinner and can you not believe or do you have the power to believe in God without the Holy Spirit? See, so then, then, we, then we begin to, start to really start to change things. We begin to change, well, what is sin? Does sin really mean that I, I'm condemned? At birth? Or is there a time of innocence in which I am not accountable for my sins until a certain period, maybe 13 or 12 or maybe it's 10, where I become accountable for my sin? See, I just changed a bunch of stuff because I said I didn't believe in baptism. So, uh, going back to the truth of God, we have the truth and all of it pertaining to salvation and to good works. We have all that truth in here. Now, do we have all the truth of um, what, a, what is contained in the strain of DNA in here? No. Now, when Scripture comments on those things, it's true. right? Evolution is categorically false because we believe in Genesis. Um, however, uh, science, this is not meant to be a science textbook. Uh, so when it comments on science, uh, when, and by that I mean natural science, uh, then we believe it. But this main goal is to give us all of the truth of salvation and all of the truth of good works. Those are the two things contained in the scriptures. Um, it is how we know God and we cannot know him apart from that. Okay, so all of that to say, when we say words, it's equated with the truth. The truth is a communication. It's not some feeling, and it's not you know, defined by anyone else but God. And here we see, we should pay attention to that truth, because all around us, in the small discussion we just had, it is constantly being attacked. And if we take our eyes off of these scriptures for a moment, and we think that we will, by our own human reason, maintain our faith, we will fail. And we will drift away. Okay, someone raise their hand. Yes, Tony. I was going to point to, um, when it comes to the interpretation of Jesus, when he was being judged by Pontius Pilate, was asked, was he not asked yeah. what, is what is truth? Right. What do you, do you call it? Yes. Yeah. What was, Jesus doesn't. He doesn't respond. Yeah. He, he just. He just says, "What is truth?" Right. And of course, that's man. If Eve, Eve couldn't have said it any better. What is the word of God? What is truth? I think, this good, I think this fruit is desirable for eating. God told you it would kill you. And yet you, th you think by your immense wisdom that it's going to make you wise. 
All right, so, uh, again, the simplicity of the gospel can be um, uh, deceptive in the sense that uh, even though it's a simple message, we have to remember that everything in us and around us is against that message because we have sin in the world. So I think one of the best pictures that Hebrews gives is being in a storm-tossed sea in which you need an anchor, and if you don't have it, you will be destroyed. But God wishes to give that anchor to you in his word. Um, so all the stuff that Jesus has, all of his riches in heaven and on earth, I mean, everything that is connected to Jesus, he wishes to give to you. But in the very, very um, simple way of the word. That's it. That's how you get it. If you want it, that's how you get it. Okay, so moving on to chapter 3. So chapter 3, uh, we see Jesus, sort of from chapter 2 as well, taking on flesh, and he is the one who fulfills all things. Um, so chapter 3. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who is faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. So now we have Jesus as our leader. He is the one who will bring us to completion. He is the faithful one, and we then are his house. This is the definition of the church of God. Um, so later on, um, where is it here? Yeah, um, verse 6. Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are. We are his house. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. That hope is in the word given to us, right? So here we have a definition, a very simple definition of the church, right? Uh, so if we were to sort of take this apart, um, first of all, who is the church? The house. Yes, the house. And who is the house? It's a weird question. <laughs> who is a house? Huh. Now, if we are a house... Who dwells there? Jesus. The Holy Spirit. God does. So the Holy Spirit brings with him the Father and the Son. And Jesus then is over us. So in the church, we are indwelt by God. Who is the leader? Jesus is. Christ. Uh, and this is the office of the ministry. That's the whole point of why Jesus gives it in the church. Not so that it can lord it over, but so that Christ can continue to speak his word to his people. So you have the office of the ministry, you have the people there, um, and also you have what's supposed to be preached. And what is it? Yeah, the hope. What's our hope? Well, the, the word is our hope, but, but that's sort of a summary. 
What is, what is the hope that we have? Being saved. Saved from what? Yeah, right. Our sins. So by definition, we preach about sin and we preach about Jesus and his forgiveness. That's what you should hear here all the time. And, and going back to chapter 2, why do we have to keep hearing that again and again? Take heed. Yeah, because during the week, you and your block-headed sinful nature did lots of dumb things and you need forgiveness. And so you come back and you receive forgiveness again and again and again because that's how Jesus sustains you. Um, okay, so Jesus then is the head of the church and the church then gathers around the word of God, the hope. All right, <clears throat> Um, now we have this picture of a wilderness wandering, uh, so we'll, we'll go to chapter 4. Therefore, since a promise remains, I'm sorry, I'm in verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Okay, so here we see there's a danger, right? And we sort of discussed this already. Um, we have... We should be afraid. What are we afraid of? Temptation. Temptation, yes. So temptation's part of this. But what, what does temptation come from? What is, what is that? Yeah, it, it, so there's two kinds of sin. What are the two kinds of sin? Who said that? Yeah, oh, good. He's a confirmation student. It's not fair. Um, yeah, there's original sin. And, Jimmy, did you have something? Yeah, our sinful nature. That's original sin. Good job. Um, so our, we have a, a sin nature, original sin. And that's what Paul talks about, right? Inherited from Adam. We are all sinful at conception. But there's also actual sins. Those sins grow like Fruit from a tree. If we are a sin tree, what do we produce? Sin, right? That's the point. And so our nature is bound and corrupted with sin, and therefore we, by nature, sin. Okay, so now we have this fear. Our fear is that someone would fall short of entering the rest. Um, so... Our fear then is that we would stumble and fall. That we would reject God. So we, we must maintain a fear of God. And that fear of God helps us to see our sin and to spurn it. right? To walk away from it. Um, okay, so verse 2. I'm in chapter 4. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. All right, so you have the word of God now, but you also have that... Uh, the, they can, you can sit here and listen to God's word, and what else do you need? 
Yeah, you need, the, you need faith, and that's given by the Holy Spirit. And so if you sit here and you block God continually, you say, yeah, okay, I went to church and I heard audibly things being spoken, therefore I am saved, that most certainly will not save you at all. You will not appear before God and say, Kai, I showed up in church. Well, that's nice. Now go to hell. Because what do you need before the Heavenly Father? What? Faith. Faith, yes. And what? Everyone has faith. But it's not always safe. And, and the, well, okay, the word. Thanks, Clayson. <clears throat> what is your faith in? I think it would be the faith that uh, we'd have uh, that Jesus accomplished his goal and has finished it. And he, he, he atoned for our sins. Okay, good. You're, you're almost there. Because I may indeed say, I do believe Jesus died for the sin of the world. And that still may not save me. Why not? It's you! I believe Jesus died for me. And when I appear before my Heavenly Father, I don't appeal to anything but Jesus and His blood for me. So faith, then, is that you believe Jesus died for your sin. Yes, He died for the sin of the world. That's why you're included. But He died for you. And it makes it your salvation. So there then is the mixing of faith with the word of God. And so when we come, we should be cautious uh, and fear God, knowing that uh, we are still in our sinful flesh, and therefore we need God to continue to give us faith. Uh, now again, this is not for the person who says, oh my goodness, you know, I need to do a bunch of stuff. No, you don't need to do anything. You, you can't even produce faith in yourself. But you need to look to God alone for your salvation. Belief, then, is a gift, and it's sustained by His Word, and He promises to do it. The only thing that can get rid of faith is what? Unbelief, yes. Which, how do I... Um, well, going back to chapter 2... How do I drift away? By not heeding. Oh, yeah, right. By not paying attention. I cut God off. This is the fear that we don't want anyone among us to cut God off from them. And one of the first ways that happens is when you stop showing up to church. That's sort of the first step towards eventually just cutting everything off. Right? And, and that's why we get concerned about those who are not among us. And we fear lest those who are among us would fall away. And so we go to them and say, hey, are you okay? You, know, you weren't here. I, I, I want you to come. I know that you know, maybe you got something going on. Maybe we can you know, figure something out. Maybe there's a different time. Or, I mean, that's, we have a Saturday service for that reason. People can't come on Sunday morning. Yeah, you can come on Saturday. Or if, if it happened that we got four or five people, came to Emmanuel, and, uh, you know, Pastor, we, we, all weekend, you know, our livelihood is that we work on the weekends. It, it, can we do something? 
Yeah, let's start a midweek service. Why not? Right? So that's then what we want among us is that we're concerned for each other. We want all people here to keep receiving the word of God. Okay. Um, in verse 12, well, no, I better skip that or I'm gonna, we're never going to finish. All right, let's go to chapter 5. All right, so chapter 5, uh, I'm starting in verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men and things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also beset by weaknesses. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sin, offer to offer for sins, for his sins. Sorry. Um, now, Jesus did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. All right, so Jesus is a priest. Now, we have to understand what a priest is in the first place. What is a priest? Uh, what? Yeah, right? He's the guy who's there and negotiating with God for you. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, what would it look like? What did the priests do? They, did, they were intermediaries, but what would it look like? If I was an Israelite, I wanted to you know, come to God, I arrive at the tabernacle, and then what? Right? Yeah, you kill a bunch of animals. Poor Fluffy. He had to go. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, we're not used to uh, death. Now, keep in mind, uh, it wasn't like they just really liked killing animals. We're going to find that out today, um, if we get there, uh, that, that it required death. And it wasn't pretty. You know, it, it is not a joy to take the life of anything. Um, and, and although farmers have to do this and we do this, uh, it, it's not as if we enjoy killing things. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe you, you should recheck that. Um, so, but, but we have, when they brought the lambs, the death of that lamb was then used to cleanse the people. Uh, so you would bring a lamb for a sacrifice, and there would be lambs offered every morning and evening for the sin of the people. Um, the priest then would do something very specific. He bears the sin of the people. In all the Old Testament, that's his purpose. He is to bear the sin of the people. Uh, and it's something we forget because I, I think um, some of the ways of the world have snuck in. Um, and, and sadly, uh, you know, in the history of the Catholic Church, this happened. Um, that somehow being a priest was like the priest had this special job of, you know, he was really holy and then he would do things for you um, and there was some power relationship there. Um, but here we see the priest is actually doing the dirty work of taking on sin and becoming guilty for your sake and then being cleansed by God. So his job is to bear sin. 
That's the whole purpose. All the tabernacle was built around this. So being a priest is one who bears the sin of the people. Um, now in the Old Testament, they were appointed. Now Jesus is appointed by God. And he will then, not as a shadow anymore, because again, in the Old Testament, you had shadows. But now you have the thing itself. You have Jesus come, and he is not a picture or a shadow, but the substance. Much like the difference between uh, myself and my shadow. Uh, if someone tried to treat my shadow as if it was me, it would be strange. Right? You're talking to my shadow on the pavement. Uh, you're not talking to me. But now we get to deal directly with God. So this is the change. Jesus now bears our sin before the Father. All right, so uh, at the end of chapter 5, uh, it's interesting because, you know, and, and most, of the, most of the time you have these letters, uh, you sort of have this title, th this wave, right? You get to the top, oh, yes, Jesus, this is fantastic. Then you have to go back down to the bottom where uh, he ends up calling you babies because you can't receive the spiritual uh, meat. So at the end of chapter 5, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Now, again, I mean, this, this has got to sort of hurt, you know? I, I, again, if, if I'm up there and I say, you guys, stop acting like a bunch of babies. You, you might be like, oh, Geez, Pastor, why are you calling me a baby? <laughs> but that's exactly what he's doing. I mean, again, think of what it's like when you're growing up, right? You grow, you get older, you start as a child, you can only have milk, you get older, you can have solid food. But uh, I can tell you one of the worst things amongst children to call one another is baby, right? Because, you know, little Gracie is a big girl. You know, she's not a baby. But that, it's, it's good for us to hear this because it's, uh, uh, it's also a friendly admonition. He is not condemning, but rather treating them as a family, right? <clears throat> so one of the best ways to solve family conflict uh, is to look at the person who's stamping their feet and causing all the problem and say, stop being a baby! Grow up! Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's very constructive. But, you know, honestly, it, it, it cuts through a lot of our little problems we think we have. Right? Just grow up. Right? Stop acting like a child. And this is what he's saying. Stop acting like children. You've heard the word of God for a long time now. And you should know it so well. He says you should be teachers. Are you ready? Who's ready? Come on. Let's start. <laughs> but this is why we must remember this book is for you. When you read the Bible, it's not meant for scholars. It's not meant for seminary students. Now, yes, we study that at seminary so that we're well-grounded in it and know it and can apply it correctly. But the job of a pastor is not to take your job. You ought to know the Word of God. You, not, not just me. Now, I apply it to you. And God has given us a wonderful promise 
that when you hear my teaching and I preach to you, you hear the word of Christ and you can rely on it because I'm in an office. But that does not say that you cannot read the word of God and comprehend it and that you cannot say, Pastor, you're wrong. This is not what the word of God says. And I look forward to that. Right? Because, again, it means you're in the Word and you're able to say with confidence, this is what it says. Um, so, this also, going back to the truth, this means if we can be teachers of this Word, that we can know it so well and have so much confidence that we can teach others. So, this is both a, uh, a rebuke but it's also a great encouragement. Keep with the word of God. It will make you wise. Yeah. But as you grow and the older you get, the more you find out that you don't know. Ah. Um, so it's like with the word of God. The more that I read the word of God, the more I don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, there's a truth there. Yeah. You know, Right. Yes, that's right. That's right. So when we get to something in Scripture and we're like, uh, what does it mean? I'm not saying you can't ask me. You can come to me. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to show you the other Scriptures that explain that part. And so then you know that the method of finding an answer to your question about Scripture is to do what? Read more scripture, right? Right? I mean, this is the, the sort of circular path. Um, but the other thing about that, Judy, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because there, there's a lot of wisdom there. Um, so it's not always that we don't understand the word of God. Right? You, you understand what sin is. It is breaking one of God's ten commandments. But also it is inherited from Adam. You know that. But now, the longer you live, and the more this word sinks in, the deeper it gets into you. You know, it's, uh, I, I, as Luther would say, it's, it's like the, when you, uh, a spice, this is, uh, this is what he uses. How do you get the flavor out of a spice? You crush it, right? And that's what's happening to you all your life. You're being slowly crushed <laughs> by the cross of God, which grinds into you the word. So that when you read that passage again, after five years, it applies even more. And it's not that it's a new teaching, but it's that you now, being trained by God, can enjoy it even more and soak it up even more. And hopefully then you see that faith can grow stronger and stronger. There is a maturing of faith. Yeah? To take the analogy in 5 and go back to two, chapter 2 uh, where he's, talking, he's using milk and solid food, those things. Yeah. At the beginning of 2 when you talk about you know, uh, being in the Word, why do we need to be in the Word? 
if our faith is not fed the food that it needs, you'll never get from knowing all Yes. continue to grow that faith. And a faith right. that is not fed anywhere in its time is going to die. Right. Eventually. Yes. It's, a, it's a, a plant, basically, kind of thing. That, or even a human, too. You cut food off from a human, they're going to shrivel up and die. That's right. Yeah. Our faith will do the same thing. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's so funny you brought that up because Gary is the one who brought up the, the, the eating and the eating analogy last time. So I'm sorry. Um, so, uh, so anyhow, yeah. The, and, and this is where, again, these analogies help us so much. Um, I, when, when we are a child and we grow into this, um, there's a reason why infants need milk. And then when you're older, you need solid food. Uh, why? What would happen if you only drank milk all the time? What would happen to you? <laughs> wow, Johnny, that's you'd you'd become a cow. Yes. Oh, this is true. Yeah, yeah, that, it would hurt your stomach. Yeah, gallon challenge. Don't do it. Um, but but you would not get the vitamins and the nutrients you need. And eventually your body would break down and you would become weaker. Because you need, your, as your body matures, you need the, food, the, the nutrients taken from solid foods. Just like an infant can be fed because they are small and because they are growing, they can be fed with just milk for a while. But they become mature and they need the greater food. So again, going back to our faith, our faith is fed and the more we eat the word of God, and the more we grow in that word, then the more solid food we eat, what happens to our faith? It grows and becomes strong. But again, take the person who is strong, but then it somehow becomes deceived, and they start drinking only milk again. What's going to happen to their faith? Slowly tank. And now, now you, you do see that it's still maintained, right? He didn't say you're not receiving anything, but you're, you, you're acting like you know too much. You're acting like... Um, and this is the strange thing. He says, you should be teachers, but now you, you're, you're like those that have to be taught the oracles of God again. Um, so we should know the word of God, but not think that, well, now I know it and I don't need it anymore. Again, that would be much like a person who, okay, I've, I've had solid food. Now I'm not going to eat anymore. Ever heard of protein shakes? <laughs> you still shouldn't live on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Right, yeah. And again, this is, it's uh, going on to a relationship, right? Um <laughs> You, uh, you husbands, if you really think that you can tell your wife you love her on the day you get married and then never, ever talk to her again, how's it going to work out for you? <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> worst marriage advice ever. <laughs> and so that's what, he's, that's what he's guarding against. So jumping to chapter 6, this is the peril. Okay, so chapter 6 talks about our great peril, and that's all this peril is being cut off from the word of God. Um, all right, so uh, in chapter 6, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, 
let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, <laughs> chasing children. Um, and this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. So here we see those who have become partakers of the Holy Spirit if they fall away to renew them again is impossible. Now, one way of taking this is saying, um, if you sin a certain sin, you can never be forgiven. Um, but there's another thing where, uh, if, if you, what would cut you off from God? Now that we've sort of gone through this, what's going to cut you off from God? Your sin, yes. And unbelief, unbelief yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Go. Sorrow. Sorrow. Oh, yes. If your sorrow is not mixed with faith, it can cut you off from God. That's true. Yeah. Denying the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Denying the Holy Spirit. So all those are true. All right. So let's take them together. Sin, unbelief, denying the Holy Spirit. So are the one thing that you can... Well, let, let's go back. What does the Holy Spirit use... To give you faith? Word. So then, yeah, right, word. So then, um, if, so what sin is doing, if it wants to cut you off, is what? Take away the word. If, if sin leads to me no longer receiving the word of God, I will die. So then, sin can lead to this. And that's why sin is always dangerous. Because it always is trying to rid us of God's word. Uh, and, and we have to then confess it. That's why we have to get rid of it. And we should not keep it with us. Um, okay, so uh, here we see the unforgivable sin then. Um, well, I'll, I'll ask you. What sin cannot be forgiven? Yeah, right. Rejecting the Holy Spirit, which means, how do you? How would you reject the Holy Spirit? Sin you keep. What? Sin you keep. You the sin you keep. Yes. You don't accept. You don't repent of that sin. You keep those. Right, right. So your sin has now successfully done what? Block the Word of God. The Holy Spirit comes to you in the Word of God, and if you let your sin remain and continue, it will become a valve that shuts off all of God's word and you will die in your sin. And this is unforgivable because the only way you can be forgiven is the word of God. And so if you shut off the word of God and that is the sin that you continue in, you cannot be forgiven. There is no repentance left for you. It'd be like trying to find a way around Jesus. And you can't get around Jesus if you want salvation. So this is the unforgivable. 
is that you would cut off the Word of God and not turn it back on. Um, but again, in verse 9, he says, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this manner. So he knows he's speaking harshly to them at this point, but he doesn't stay there. So chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now, consider how, this, how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. So, this is the one whom Jesus is modeled after. This priest is different, because he is not from Levi, but rather he is by appointment of God. So Jesus is our high priest by God's appointment. And his great job is in chapter, er, sorry, in verse 20. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are priests forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. So this is what he's doing. He has created a new covenant. He is not a priest in the line of Levi. He is appointed by God from Judah. And this one, then, is the one in whom we cling by the word. So you notice now the author of Hebrews going through the word of God, how we keep the word, what it means to have the word as salvation, goes back to Jesus. And he says, this one, this priest, appointed for you, is there forever now, giving you salvation. So now in chapter 8. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. All right, so this is what I love about scripture. It will tell you when there's a main point. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is not a bad communicator. And he will always tell you what he's trying to say. So, if you're ever wondering what the main point of Hebrews is, <laughs> this is the main point, okay? So, chapter 8. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected, and not man. That's it. That's the main point. <laughs> so, so this Jesus as a high priest bears your sins forever before the throne of the most high and that is our greatest comfort and our greatest assurance so that now you always have a sacrifice for sins namely Jesus and he will always appeal to the father for you Uh, so jumping to, to verse 7 now. So we'll, we'll finish chapter 8 and then we'll, we'll be done. Um, For if that first covenant had been faultless, 
that no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Okay, a very lengthy quotation from Jeremiah. Um, Now, Jeremiah is during their captivity. So they have been taken away at this point, and they are in exile. And God is telling them, you clearly have not done it. You have broken my covenant. That's why you are here. It's why you are suffering. And this is the purpose of the law. To show us that we, no matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, we can't do it. And these things cannot perfect us. So this was, uh, as in Galatians, it sort of spells out. It was a tutor, a guardian, until the one would come who was promised. So if you look at the Old Testament, uh, you have the patriarchs until you have the establishment of the tabernacle. And then after Moses comes, you have Joshua, Judges, and then the kings. Well, after after Moses, you have the worship set. At that point, all worship is codified in Leviticus, and it is the priesthood, it is the old covenant, the first covenant. But all of that was a preparation and a shadow to help lead and guide them so that they would know that they needed something more. They needed someone to come and save them. Um, So in in verse 7, it it says a strange thing. If that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Is there a fault in God's promise? What does he mean? It's dependent on us. We fail. Oh, good! Yes! So the fault was not with the law. But the fault was with us. We have no power to keep it. And that's the point. And so Jesus comes under the law and keeps it perfectly. And then he gives us a new covenant. So it was to help us and keep us, as Galatians would explain for Hebrews, was to help us and keep us as a guardian until the time would come. And as a matter of fact, uh, as we get to chapter 9, it's really going to expound on this. Um, So what's the difference between the Old and New Covenant? The old one's really long. (laughs) Well, this is true. Uh, Yes. The fulfillment. The fulfillment. 
Yeah. The, they were based on promises of if you keep, if you do. And now Jesus has done and now brings something new. Um, so going to what, what, now what's the different activity that Jeremiah describes? And I, I, I love this explanation on Jeremiah. What, how is he saying it will work? In the Old Testament, he had the sacrifices. How does it work in the New? What's going on in this Jeremiah passage? In the Old Testament, where was the law written? In a book. On stone. Where is the law written now? On your heart. And this is why it's the better covenant... Because instead of telling you, you must do this and you must do that, I tell you, you haven't done it. Now confess your sins and you say, I, a poor miserable sinner. And I tell you, Jesus has come for you and died for you. And you believe this for your salvation. But now the Holy Spirit uses that to write the law on your heart. Now, um, if, if someone is in your heart, what does that mean? You love them. Yeah. You love them. Yeah, so, so we cherish things in our heart. Now, it, it's impossible for us to cherish the law of God in our heart unless what? Unless we love it. Yeah, so how can we love the law? Because we love Jesus. And he has kept the law. And now we love to do the things of God because we know we are his children already. Because the law of God now includes the New Testament given for us for our good. So this then is the New Covenant. We'll, we'll dive into that next time um, of, in chapter 9 where we have a heavenly sanctuary where Jesus feeds us. Uh, any final questions before we end? Okay, then I guess I'll do what I promised and let you go early. All right, let us pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we have heard you in your word, for you have opened our ears, our spiritual heart, and have allowed us to receive your Holy Spirit. Help us, dear Lord, not to become children again and need milk, but to eat and drink your word in all of its fullness, so that we might grow into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, Happy New Year! Happy New Year. Happy New Year.